How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, good. Do you not have your headset on? Oh, wait. How about now? Oh, so much better. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Do you know what that actually was? What? I it on, but I had the microphone turned away from my mouth. <laughs> I have done that before. I was Skillfully like, done, right? <laughs> yeah, very impressive. I'm like, why does he sound... Huh... Hello, Wadnuts. Uh, welcome to the first Baxter building of 2016. It's a brand new era for Fantastic Four as we head into the first non-Jack Kirby issues and as myself, co-host Graham McMillan and my esteemed fellow co-host Jeff Lester, who finally is catching on that he's supposed to say his name there I actually realized also that I was giving you a Were you pointing at me? Were you doing that like I was was giving you a visual cue (laughs) and only after I did it I thought, he doesn't see that I really don't This is an audio connection only Anyway as I think both of us would agree, we're starting the year off right with some terrible comics. Oh, man. Oh, man. Actually, here's the thing. They're terrible, but they're not terrible, terrible. You know, they, they start off pretty rocky, but by the end, we're, I should say we're, we're going through issues 103 to 112. Yes. By the end of this run of issues, I had a rhythm going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it, feel, it felt... Maybe not that the comic had gotten better, but definitely with, with 103 and 104, I feel like I was spending an awful lot of time just going, oh, no. Oh. One, yeah. And, and by the time I got to the end of the run, it's still a lesser comic than it was when Kirby was on. But it's it's slicker. Oh, it, it's much slicker. In fact, I, I, I'm actually going to say that one of the things I find – you know – Let's put things into context. I'm sure uh, our listeners have listened to Baxter's 1 through 12, but if you didn't, as Graham mentions, Jack Kirby leaves at 102, and it is pretty unexpected. And 103 and 103... It's so unexpected, he leaves at at the end of part one of a three-part story. Yeah, exactly. So he... he, It it catches... It so clearly caught the Stan and the rest of the bullpen, like off guard that issues 103 or 104 very much have that uh you know kind of what i was saying is the catchphrase they're better than nothing which is literally i think the only other option would have been for them to try and do full reprints um because everything is so slapdash i mean i would have to look and see some of uh those two issues are the art is by john romita inked by uh uh john John Verputin, and um, John Verputin goes on to become the uh, the production manager for Marvel. And uh, I'd always known his name actually because, sadly enough, uh, he died really tragically young. Um, and this sort of gets mentioned a little bit uh, in Sean Howe's uh, book on Marvel Comics that Verputin was ridiculously young. I mean, admittedly, he was like a chain smoker, very overweight. But also, even more sad to me was the fact that he apparently wanted to be like 
an illustrator and an inker. And here he is doing, he and Romita are doing their profound best to, I think, turn stuff out on, on a incredibly tight deadline such that a lot, some of the panels of this actually look more like the Fantastic Four cartoon, you know, that Ralph <laughs> Bakshi was doing than the actual Fantastic Four comic book. And there's some amazing pacing and plotting issues, just some stunning stuff where like literally at one point, like Ben Grimm jumps into the water to fight Namor the Submariner and you cut to Sue Storm flying from New York to upstate to New York to drop off her child, to have a conversation with the, with Agatha Harkness, the governess hops back in her jet gets flies out to the middle of the ocean where this fight is taking place. And Ben is still down there punching things out with Namor and, and, uh, Reed and Johnny are still flying around in circles being like, oh, wow, this is... Ben mm. could really hold his breath for a long time. Right, which, oh boy, <laughs> some of the stuff in there, oh my god. But Okay, but, but, let, let, let's actually let, roll straight into to 103. Damn it, okay. <laughs> Jeff, you can get, say what you want when we get there. I just want to properly get in there. No, I think Don't that's fight fair. Fight me on this, Jeff. Mm. Okay, fight me a little. Okay. Well, so uh, the only thing I do want to say is is that that coming up in the issues after the triage of 103-104, um, we see Stanley uh, do what Stanley is supposed to be doing, what he has always claimed that he does, and you, you start to see efforts at building ongoing subplots, uh, reoccurring continuity. I mean, there's stuff that's cobbled together, but as as we'll see when we get there, there are um, elements to take the characterization deeper. All the stuff that Kirby has more or less curtailed Stan from doing, especially in the last, you know, what, 20 issues until he left? And I mean, arguably, continuity, not really something that Kirby's interested in, and he really sort of didn't he, he always reset the counters on characterization here you can see stan uh we'll see stan try and now that he has the ability to do so change that up with varying degrees of success oh yeah or <laughs> yes varying degrees of failure i think is the more appropriate <laughs> way to describe it but yes fantastic four 103 mm-hmm. the fabulous ff are the first to fight and the first to fall at war with Atlantis, mm-hmm. where we left off last time. Inexplicably, Magneto and the Submariner have teamed up <laughs> to declare war on the surface world, slash humanity, slash the Fantastic Four. It's probably best to not really rehash the how did this happen, because how did this happen was fairly unclear last time. It looked like maybe Ben Grimm launched a missile, or maybe Reed Richards launched a missile, who really knows? Definitely not Stan or Jack. Who seems to disagree about that? Yes. Nonetheless, we're at war, everyone. Yes. I think one of the first things I want to say about this issue is really visible from the splash page, mm-hmm. which is Kirby's gone, obviously. Yeah. And Romita steps in. But Verputin's inks over Romita sort of deaden the Romitaness. Yeah. Ways. Yeah, like, that's, that's what was shocking to me. Looks, looks like. Especially Submariner. Looks like Don Heck. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which is interesting because clearly Romita at every possible point is trying to ape Kirby as much as possible. I'm sure it's a, yes. what he was being told to do. Yes. It makes a lot of sense. They're trying to get some visual continuity there. And yet... It's, it's, and you really see it in his read in particular. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. His read is very, very Kirby, much more than it is Romita. Oh, it's... I mean, it's Kirby... I mean, it's... Which is funny considering how much... Um, I think in one in an earlier episode, we had drawn comparisons between uh, Joe Sinnott and uh, John Romita, or actually yes. maybe we're, you know, so I was thinking like, okay, what we're going to see is a very Romita-esque set of characters. That happens later. Uh, yeah, but not in these, these first couple of issues. In these first couple of issues, either because Romita has taken it upon himself or because he's been told to by Stan, He's quite clearly working with like Kirby Page's nets to him. Yes. Yeah, he absolutely is. And maybe because in some cases he's he's looking at originals or whatever, they they really are in some cases more far far more Kirby esque than Cynodesque, which is amazing. Um now I don't I don't know the speed with which you want to get through these issues because instead of our usual six we're we're going for nine which I think seems sensible but uh, I do want to point out that um, one of the things that that also uh, Romita and um, Verputin are trying to do with uh, noticeably less success comically so is um, the the idea of you know you can't have Kirby without Kirby tech uh, so. What I deeply adore is on pages three and five, you've got a, a Vizzy screen where Reed has to put on this helmet that sort of makes it look like he's doing Tank Girl cosplay. Like, instead of, like, a totally <laughs> awesome, like, Kirby helmet that you would get, he, he kind of looks like he's Snoopy getting ready to fight the Red Baron. He's wearing a skullcap that has a really awesome microphone that might be a mirror underneath his chin. Yeah, totally. It's it's kind of like everyone needs a skull skullcap slash compact. And, I mean, the great thing about it is is when you get to page five, uh, when I, I, and you see Richard Nixon make the first of his appearances, yes, in in Fantastic Four now because yes, Nixon appears a bunch of times. Oh my God, it really is like I think they were really prepping us to make him like the new member after uh, you know Crystal and Sue bowed out. But, but anyway, one of the things that's great is as Nixon shows up on the Vizzy screen, everyone can hear him. Everyone can talk to him. He can hear them. But then Reed has to put on that stupid cap for no reason whatsoever in order to communicate with him. It's awesome. Like, part of me is like, oh, well, clearly he's doing that to read Nixon's thoughts. I don't, you know, I mean, he's not. There's no great incontinuity Well, well clearly explanation. he's doing it. Like, I think that Rumita had the, this is how you talk in this screen. Yeah. And Stan was like, I've got a much better idea. Everyone can hear and talk to He's just he's just wearing that skullcap because it looks cool because that's what Jack used to do, kids. I and I think well, I I do think that Stan is um, you know, he honestly, I think that there's this whole other alternate world where Stan Lee becomes like one of the first great stars of a Judd Apatow movie because Stan Lee is such an improviser. You know, it's like he looks at the art and then he figures out the way to like 
you know, because I mean that screen, it's like you've got you've got Sue holding up the baby to read. I'm looking at page five, panel one. There's Nixon on there, like Ben sort of talking over his shoulder. Read, you see um, Crystal and Johnny reacting. Like it's all in a way, it's relatively complete and on the page. Uh, but in order to have any pe- words on there at all that aren't just completely reiterating everything that's happening, um, you know, it, it Stan, Stan tries to finesse it so that it's like, you know, Nixon is saying like, easy, Mr. Grimm, let us try to lower our voices, you know, and, and, and Johnny's like, Reed will be right Reed with really you, sir. That's a lot of character, mm-hmm. like in that, just in that panel. Because you get Ben being simultaneously awed by the fact that the president's online mm-hmm. and dismissive of the president because he's not talking to him. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's, he's actually turning away and it falls to Johnny, who is much more respectful and subservient, mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to respond instead. Reed is paying attention to his family. Right. And, and is much more involved in that. And you get a, a sense of... of who the characters are just in that panel. Yeah. In, in, in the way where, where their priorities are. And I, and I think, yeah, when Stan, when Stan's improving well, like you said, it gives a sense of the characters or it plays out the characterization that's on the page and draws it out. Unfortunately, a, the characterization is stays can stay a little static. Uh, and B and B who, who, there's just times where uh, Stan ends up like basically actively working against whatever's supposed to be happening in the art, such as the yeah. fact that there's there's no reason for Reed to be wearing his Esther Williams uh, swimming cap while talking to Richard <laughs> Nixon. So there, there's some Stan is. I think reeling from the loss of Kirby, not just uh, on whatever personal level is going on, but while he is, he does have some great dialogue in this issue. Yeah. He also has some wacky dialogue. Oh yeah. And, and wacky sort of explanations. The fact that the team, which at this point is five members mm-hmm. are going split up so that three of them go to fight Magneto. Mm-hmm. And they, they send Sue to deliver the baby to Agatha right. and Crystal the most powerful member of the team. Yes. Like, you, sh- you should sit by the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, I, I'm, I, one of the things that I'm impressed in a way, like I'm very much, as you know, uh, in the Marvel tank, as opposed to the DC tank, but I do appreciate how at least later generations of justice league, um, uh, the members, when they ended up on monitor, a monitor duty was a duty and B, it felt like a chore and or potential punishment. Whereas here, it's just sort of like, do you have a penis? Okay, monitor duty. Well, ex- exactly. Monitor duty is literally, are you a girl? Yeah. Sure. You should answer the phone, yeah. honey. Honey. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, yeah, which is great. And then, uh, oh, so there will be some other things to get on with, with characterization later. But we let's just say that um, more wackiness involves something exciting like page seven, where all of a sudden Magneto's dialogue ends up being thrown to the one of the Atlanteans piloting the ship. Um, you know, like crazy ass, the, the concussion blast, like everyone is read it. Uh, Lee is doing everything in his power to make it look like this fight is being started between the Submariner and the FF more or less by accident. Uh, 
and Magneto's more or less like um, doing all the evil stuff behind the scenes. But the art really does make it look like, although Magneto is manipulating things behind the scenes, everyone is more or less being his patsy, you know? So yeah, yeah. it's it's just I don't quite know where Kirby was planning to go with this story, mm-hmm. but where this issue goes mm-hmm. is really surprisingly dull. Well, I th- because yeah, you disagree? N- no, no, not on the dull part, but just the the part of as you know, I'm a big f- fan of you know the theory that that Kirby is the dude driving the bus through on all the issues, the FF, except that last issue, the fact that it started off with Magneto being retrieved from the Savage land, all of that was very non Kirby. It was very taking something from another series, which was very unfantastic for esque. Although to be fair, Kirby was doing that all the time in Thor. Um, was he, was he pulling other stuff out of uh... Galactus shows up in Thor? Well, Galactus shows up in Thor, but Galactus doesn't show up literally from seconds after one of his the storylines ends in another continuity you know what i mean like i i feel that the whole because you were the one who explained to me that that issue of x-men that ends with magneto in the savage land and all that stuff that is way more like sure kirby is like i'll throw kang in there with a gun in a bush why not you know yeah it's 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 much more actually referential to something that that has happened yeah much more i hope you guys picked up x-men issue 63 or whatever issue it was exactly exactly yeah. and, and and so there is that little piece and part of me does wonder like did was stan like okay seriously i'm the complaints and everything are getting weird i'm going to take a stronger role in plotting this and kirby was just like you know what this is this is it for me maybe that was it maybe that was why he left but mm-hmm. but if that's the case with kirby gone whoever is plotting this issue oh yeah, yeah is yeah, yeah. is it's playing for time and also not playing for time to build to anything interesting later. Everything goes the way you expect it to go. Well, yes, with the exception, I just do want to point out, because I had mentioned this about, about Stan um, trying to, to break out some of the stuff that he's done on other books or that Marvel's getting a reputation for. On page 11, uh, there's really not much reason for Sue to deliver the baby to Agatha. Um, but other than you actually have Agatha take baby Franklin. And as Sue flies off, uh, Agatha says, you know, someday perhaps we shall tell her just how much we know, but not yet, dear boy, not yet. And it's like, oh, okay. There's that's, that's a subplot. That's a genuine subplot. that We haven't seen anything like what do you mean? Is it though? Yeah, it, yes. See, that, that line feels to me much more like the filler dialogue playing off the earlier appearance of Agatha that basically she is a witch and she it knows more than she is letting on than actually the start of a subplot. Could For be. Me, subplots do not really kick in until a couple of issues from now, actually. Mm. When, when, you, when Reed's quote-unquote perfects his yes. cure for, for Ben. Yeah. And that, that's... That's problematic in and of itself. Very quickly, the plot of this issue then is that while the FF or really reads Johnny and Ben come from Magneto and Namor, mm-hmm. uh, Sue does deliver Franklin to Agatha Harkness and on her return is then attacked by Magneto so that she joins the fray. Yes. And by joins the fray, sadly, we mean uh, gets she, captured. She, 
yeah, she is present at the same place as the others because she doesn't even fight. She literally her her plane crashes, and then next thing you know, Magneto is there going, "Haha, look who I've got tied up." Yes, it's Sue, and that is also pretty much the plot of the entire issue. Yes, that is it exactly. I should point out that there is also the appearance of Lady Dorma, so it's not it's. Magneto has sort of pulled off a twofer. He's gotten Sue, uh, Reed's wife, and he's gotten Lady Dorma, the Submariner's girlfriend, who has the mutant power to always be leaking one or two tears from her eyes at all time. Well, like, you know, she, she's, she's, I was going to say she's made of water. That's not how It's <laughs> <laughs> officially canon now. She's made of water. There, there we That's go. Fine. Yeah. Um, there is a fight between Ben and Namor that, as, Jeff pointed out earlier, seems to take place for a very long time with Ben entirely underwater, but unhindered by this fact. And in fact gets knocked out. Actually gets knocked out with Namor being like, I leave him to the will of fate. His lungs are stronger than a normal man's. Perhaps they will sustain him till he wakes. But they do because they sustain him until Reed reaches down and finds him. Yes. Grabbing along the ocean floor and manages to grope Ben, recognize him and reel him up. Ben, who then begins speaking while still underwater, it's amazingly cartoon physics. I mean, there is not... There, I do not think that you can knock someone out and they can continue to hold their breath. That is not my understanding of how automatic reflexes <laughs> it's work. How, it's how Ben works. It's um, how... Yeah. Oh, boy. So... Um, so, yeah, uh, this, this is not a good issue. No. This, this is, is a terrible is issue. The worst yeah. issue of Fantastic Four yet. Anyone who has been reading the book for any period of time would basically see the lifts... Would 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 have yeah. the oh I've read the story before mm-hmm. even if I've not read the story of Submariner because he has been absent from the book for a while yeah but just the entire dynamic mm-hmm. the entire narrative is really really familiar and really dull yeah it it is it is dull. And, and Stan for all his his dialogue efforts which I really do think this is a pretty good issue for Stan adds nothing I mean it, it's it's like nineteen pages of of filler mm-hmm. it really does feel like this is the issue where they're like, oh, shit, we have to put the comic together. Um, okay. Uh, they fight. Can you draw a fight? Yeah. Uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll work out something else later. And that later never happened. Well, it's interesting. In that sense, to me, it actually reads a bit like some of before Kirby swapped to kind of his done-in-ones, uh, some of his two or three parters seemed oddly paced and kind of draggy as well. So I don't think they ever seemed as draggy as this. I well, no. I mean, this even is... Even when yeah. Kirby was playing for time, he did so in more entertaining ways. Well, so, sure. So really, I, I think even in the, the, the depths of the Frightful Four issues, mm-hmm. there would generally be at least one sequence in issue where you'd be like, okay, like that that's pretty cool. And that is not present here. I mean, the highlights of this issue for me genuinely are in pages 10 and 11, Page 10, the second panel, is a classic Romita madman face where the eyes are skewed with. Mm, mm-hmm. And the fact that the uh, subsequent Invisible Girl sequence actually looks to me like it's been inked by Romita as well. Uh, interesting. Interesting. I, I think the there's... far less harsh. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that's, that's the highlight of the issue. There, there's no like sequence that I'm like, oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah, no, not at all. And again, it's just, 
it there there's a lot of stuff going on here i do agree with you though that that generally even by um you know sorry to jump ahead but like when we get to ff105 which is romita again drink by uh inked by Verputin, you get uh his women look great so i mean that's just kind of or at least a lot stronger than you yeah although it has to be said in in 104 unless you is there anything else you want to say about 103? No, no, not at all. Okay, so so uh, 104, the FF and all mankind face deadly disaster with our world enslaved. The art in here, I think, is worse than 103. Yeah, yeah. I think Verputin's inks are terrible yes. in places here. Like, genuinely really, really bad. Yeah. In a way that they, they were not the previous issue. Page 2, the final panel on page 2 in particular... It's, it's all of the all of that is yes terrible. yeah yeah no exactly i'm well or even the um i mean if you look at page two with this thing it's sort of the montage of the of magnetic destruction because magneto has has turned upon everyone yeah exactly that's a very kirby-esque idea and it is so far from kirby in execution it is oh terribly so i mean so on page Two, we should explain for those who are not looking at the issues. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, six panels mm-hmm. uh, on the page. The layout is very unkirby in and of itself. Yeah. But of those six panels, four of them are part of this montage sequence to show the destruction that Magneto is raining down upon America. The first is planes crashing into the ground, mm-hmm. which is amazingly underwhelming yeah at the uh, most uh, yeah mm-hmm. second is the warships floating aimlessly out of control and thank god stanley put that in because otherwise you would wonder what the hell was going on in that panel exactly uh, and then the next two are explosions yes <laughs> generic explosions yeah. but also really dull explosions yeah exactly mm-hmm. i mean romita is not kirby yeah and romita has very different strengths than kirby mm-hmm. but Fantastic Four is a book so far that has, in many cases, got by by its dynamism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the explosions in these two panels are very undynamic. Yeah. Especially the fourth panel, the, the while he magnetizes your rocket's warheads, causing them to detonate too soon. Yes. It's, it's meaningless as an yeah. image. Yeah, it is absolutely meaningless. And then, and then it's... Yeah, the fact that they have two panels of meaningless explosions is... Stunning, stunning. It really is so bad and just so, um, you know, it's it's very much, you see you see Romita, he's trying to do Kirby stuff. I think he's on a, you know, again, they're on a crazy, crazy tight deadline and they just can't get themselves any breathing room, which is when you start seeing stuff like abstract explosions because it, it buys you that much more space. But you know, and even justifying it is, is like, well, Kirby did explosions. But of course, the idea is Kirby's ability to really um, it, it, just his instinctive knowledge from all these decades of drawing in terms of how he varies his line weights to create something that is, um, you, you know, that is attention getting. And of course, you know, when he's got someone like Senate in his corner, who John Verputin is not. You know, that's yeah, just... Wait, it's actually very strange to me that Sinnott did not stay around for the the changeover. Yeah. Like, because he's back very soon. He's back in maybe even the next issue. I, yes. But, but the fact that he's not on these two issues immediately following Kirby is 
really strange to me. Yeah. Because you think he would be the guy you try and bring in for the visual continuity. You, you would think. You would think. But I, I, I would say that either the time – because the fact that Romita and, and the fact that Vera Putin more or less moves from this to production manager makes me think that these two guys are literally in-house bullpen. You know, we're just one step away from like, we may find out later on that Marie Severin like inked some pages, you know, it's just it very did, much very possible. the idea for these two issues in particular, that this is a panic. Yeah. This is a, we have to make a Fantastic Four comic and we actually don't have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, it's palpable in mm-hmm. these issues. It really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at a page like page five mm-hmm. and page five genuinely looks like someone doing a parody of Kirby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, you look at at least half of the the panels, three through six to me in particular, are just, are stunning. And I mean, it's funny because it's like, there's there's something on uh, uh, page seven, like panel four, where I'm like, oh, it looks very Kirby, very Kirby-ish, in a dashed off convention sketch kind of way. Yes. Yeah. And, and page five can't even approach that in any way whatsoever. Um, but it has things that are very Kirby and not very Romita. Yeah. So for example, page five, panel five. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, very much. Yeah. And that is not something that Romita really does, mm-hmm. but it is something that Kirby does a lot. Exactly. And there really is a sense uh, that, you know, there was the, the shorthand of that this is kind of the thing that they do, right? Yeah. But it's done with, it's not even a lack of skill, because let's face it, Romita's fucking amazing. Yeah, he is. The guy, what, as you point out, they have very different skill sets. My my thing is, is I've never been super crazy. I love Romita's design chops, but like one of the reasons why I'm always glad that <coughs> we went with the FF as opposed to doing a Spider-Man right through, as much as I love Spidey, is the those... Those Ramita issues are so hard for me to read. They're just like watching paint dry in terms of the visual storytelling. Like he can kind of, he does, he gets a sense of he's, the dynamism is like, he knows what he's supposed to do, but he's just got, he's got a very, very different skill set. It's always really fascinating to look at how Ramita comes into Marvel. You know, Stanley clearly had always believed in the guy. Um, and the fact that he ends up shaping so much of the the look of the house style, which is, you know, Kirby but cleaner, um, works so well when you're doing, like, character designs or even covers. But on his panel-to-panel flow, I don't know. I, I, would, I would have his to look at it. His panel-to-panel flow is very, very... I think, naturally, he would be a much quieter artist. Yes, and I think when he, when he starts off in Spider-Man, you can see it. Yes. But when he's trying to do Kirby, as he is clearly trying to do in yeah, these issues... absolutely. The result is, is... Is neither fish nor fowl, Jeff. Yeah, boy, for sure. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This issue also sees the second appearance of Richard Nixon. <laughs> I don't know why Nixon's appearances in these issues really jumped out to me so much, but they really did. Oh, they're huge. Well, because I do have that thing of like, wait a minute, did we not get any other presidents appearing in the FF? Like, that's how bad my memory is. I know I we read I all the annuals. I don't think so either. So the fact that it's Nixon 
is and such he, a... And he appears two times in two issues. Yeah, and he's there being like, uh, I think part in part because... He's also there to be a dick, which I love. Yes. Well, it is. I think that is one of the things that is is interesting to me. Is on the one hand, I think. I think honestly, I think Stan was very proud of his Nixon imitation and tried to push. Uh, I'm just Nixon imitation by the fact that he doesn't say America. He says America. America. M A H R I C A. Yeah, and and I do love again for I mean you know it's my own secret little you know head cannon, but the fact that that that. Reed just so you see him in in uh, page seven panel two just sagging under the reprimands of President Nixon. He's like, I can understand your disappointment, sir, and I admit it's well founded. I'm like, what? You got there was a mysterious villain behind the scenes pulling the exactly. strings. What are you talking about? Like, you didn't know Magneto was there. No yeah. wonder. And also at this point. Prince Namor has teamed up with you guys. Exactly. The battle, in theory, is turning, but there are, like, two hostages, one of which is my wife. Like, cut me a little bit of slack. But instead, oh, Reed Richards' authority sop is just, uh, just oh, it never fails to tickle me. So. Can we talk about how great the uh, the following panel is, though, <laughs> in retrospect? <laughs> with Richard Nixon saying, meantime, Richards, I ask you to remember one thing. We've never lost a war before. I oh, don't yeah. intend to lose one now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Nixon. oh, if only you knew. Like, right around the corner, buddy. Holy smokes. Yeah, that was oh, pretty man. amazing. Anyway, the plot of this issue is exactly what you would expect, listeners. The FF and Reed Richards, uh, the FF and Namor even, team up mm-hmm. uh, after being reprimanded by Richard Nixon uh, and <laughs> confront. Magneto, who has inexplicably decided to set himself up as the king of New York, seemingly. Yeah. Not not quite sure why he has moved a throne in, but he's he's decided that's what he's doing. He's apparently taken over New York and has set himself up as the king, except for the FF. And so he attacks the Baxter building, where, thankfully, the good guys win. Do you know why they win? Because Crystal's involved. Because Crystal's the most powerful member of the team. Yes. And should have been there in the first place. Absolutely. Because, let's face it, Crystal, no one can still figure out what she does. Therefore, she's able to do everything. She kicks some ass. Also, let's face it, this, again, is kind of that classic, like, you know, we're, we're shooting for a Kirby trope. But we're filming it on a Don Heck budget where Magneto (laughs) dispatches six guys to the Baxter building to take out five members of the Fantastic Four. And we only actually see four of them get the shit kicked out of them. Two by Crystal, uh, two by uh, Reed Richards. And I have to say, the thing is pretty much taken out by a piece of pipe cleaner sticking through a box. Because that is, again, these amazing... We are in such a ridiculous rush uh, uh, panels that it's just kind of like, well, we could actually, again, you can see how Kirby would have staged that even without showing the guy, you know, just showing the gun peeking through and the the angle, you know, of um, seeing it from the point of view of the guy shooting the gun. I'm talking very much about page 15 here. Yeah, no, no, I I, I can tell because you do get... Kirby basically would have guided the eye better. Oh. If you were not looking in the right place on panel two of page mm-hmm. 15, mm-hmm. you do not see the gun sticking out of the elevator. Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. Which makes panel three require Stanley doing his over-explaining dialogue. Yeah. Where Beck gets shot and still manages to say, it don't look like an ordinary pop gun. <laughs> because he has to. Because yes. how else would you know that that was what was happening? Yeah, you would have, you would have no idea. Um, so yes, the siege of the Baxter building that involves four dudes... Uh, a ship that looks like a manta ray that can totally be confused by having Johnny Storm fly in circles around it uh, allows Reed the time to actually invent a vacuum cleaner. Again, a remarkably un-Kirby-esque piece of Kirby tech uh, to be able... It is and it isn't. Because again, it's pulling a lot of Kirby iconography. Yes. But putting those different bits together... Yeah. In a way that is very un-Kirby. Exactly. I mean, Kirby Kirby really does have the... It wasn't until the second time that I read this. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll get to that because it's literally like right on the next page. But yes, it's... There's, uh, again, the inking does it no favors, but Kirby's stuff is always detailed and always organic. And so slapping together what really looks like, you know, those... Um, those books that you read as a kid where it was like three different levels to the picture book. So you could like assemble, it's like the pants yeah. of a cowboy and the, the, the torso of a policeman and then the head of an astronaut. I mean, it's about that bad for that piece of Kirby tech. <laughs> uh, and then and also yeah. the existence of the Kirby tech in general is it. A, I can totally imagine Kirby having done this with blotting. Mm-hmm. But I can't help but feel that he somehow would have done it in a way that didn't feel so lackluster. Because literally, Reed has invented a machine that turns Magneto's power back on him. The end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. He doesn't even appear to, like, run away from the machine. Yeah. He's just like, my powers are working. I'll just stand here. Yeah. Pages 18 and 19 are, again, an incredibly underwhelming uh, action sequence, which is awesome for the amount of scenes in which people do things for uh, no reason. I'm I'm especially delighted by having Crystal show up... uh, on page 18, panel three, make lightning flash for no reason. Like reads like perfect. That gives me the split second I needed. Like, what are you even talking about? You know? And then the great appearance of all those Kirby dots on 18 and 19. But again, in this sense of like, this is how Kirby used them, right? Just to black out the backgrounds. And it's like, well, no. Uh, and yeah, Magneto's just clearly like, mm, I will push harder against this impossible. It's kind of it, looks a bit like he's dancing. He kind of does. He absolutely does. It totally, it totally looks as if Reed and Magneto are staging a really impressive rock light show. Um, even just the fact that you've got the the on page nineteen. I mean, uh, you've got Romita. He's like. He's trying to amp things up. So he's got bits like, you know, here comes the human torch to break out Sue Storm. There's a submariner like breaking out Dorma and they're flying toward the reader at like top speed. But there's no reason like the threat is totally contained. Like it, it really is totally contained in the funniest way, because it turns out that Reed's gun creates a physical cone that traps Magneto inside. It's so, the the scenes where after they've turned off the gun and Magneto's still in there, still jamming his little thing on there, and it's so, there's like this this enormous 
golden yellow Devo hat in the in the background <laughs> of the the last page of the issue is just great. By which I mean pretty terrible. And as if necessary at this point of cliche, oh, after yeah. the threat is vanquished, Reed says to Namor, "I want to thank you, Namor, for trusting us, for gaining us time." Yeah. And Namor says, "This submariner does not desire gratitude." But, says Reed, can we never be friends? Oh, yeah. Never, says the Submariner. So long as you air breathers hate and distrust all who are different, I leave you to your world of strife and never-ending war. Yeah. Because, sure, that's what this issue needed. It <laughs> needed, at the end, uh, Namor to be like, Pa! Air breathers! Yes. Fuck of you. I'm gonna leave. Just so Reed can say, our job will never be finished, not till this tragic battleground Earth. Finally knows peace. Not till each man calls his fellow man brother. Brother. Yeah. It, I, I, oh, I, shit. It, it's amazing. It's amazing Stan, like, being like, I got to give this some, I mean, talk about unearned. So it's, it's, that's hilarious. I actually. It really is great because it comes from nowhere. The plot is, this guy's attacking New York, but you won't see it. He'll have defeated New York off panel between issues. We're going to build a cone. We're going to team up with our enemy. At the end, I want to make an important point about humanity being kinder to humanity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Meanwhile, the part of me that, of course, loves Reed Richards, you know, Craven Authority Sop, you really get to see his arc for this storyline end on page 19, which is fantastic. He has recovered his wife, who was in danger, saved the human race. What does he say? Well, let's hope this erases the credibility gap between Washington and the FF. And I... <laughs> Did you lol, Jeff? I lolled. I, they summoned the lollycopter and... Uh, or no, it's the rafflecopter. Anyway, it was... It it was it was hilarity. It was hilarity. And of course, once again, Sue is my darling. You did it. You defeated Magneto without a single casualty. I'm very much like at this point. I'm like that. Okay. Not only is that not even remotely possible, but the idea that Sue breaks out there. I I I. There, I'm slowly again the head cannon. I was so bored during so many of these issues. And actually, there's a lot of other things that I'll point out where the idea that Reed Richards is a terrible person and the world's most insecure. Like, honestly, Reed acts in a lot of these, in these next couple of issues, sort of the way that Dr. Doom would act if Dr. Doom was a Craven authority sop. So it's, <laughs> so you're saying that Dr. Doom is actually better than Reed Richards. I would think so. I down to... Okay. Exactly. He's like Richard Nixon. <laughs> pa, you're beneath me. And, and that would, has to run up and tell him. Dr. Doom versus Richard Nixon. Oh, that would be great, actually. That's the so. flashback I want to see, people. Well, but, um, yeah, this is, this is just—I mean, these two issues are rough, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, they're so bad. They are so bad. And honestly, I will say that uh, we should jump over to issue one hundred and five because it does not. I mean, my thesis. Well, I'll save. I'll save one of my uh, that thesis for later. But let's just say that until a later issue comes that allows a certain. Um, not altogether clever, but perhaps necessary reuse of some unpublished uh, art. Does the artistic team actually get a chance to catch its breath? Um, and you start seeing stuff that, that oh. kind of feels a little more cohesive. I am going to go a little further and say, uh, 
that Romita just is not a good fit for this book because oh. if you're talking about what I think you're talking about, that's uh, John Buscema by that point. Oh, Buscema, yeah, no, no. Well, actually, and it's interesting because I think Buscema steps in. We'll we'll get there, but yes, Romita's not a good fit. But I just want to point out that the next two issues are the attack of the monster in the streets. FF 105 is the FF face their strangest crisis when they find <laughs> the monster in the streets. Yes. Uh, yes, indeed. And for all, our, for all our, our bitching, I want to say that I really love the splash page of this issue. I'm sorry, get back to your points about... Uh, My, okay, so spoilers, everyone. What's coming up is pretty much a two-issue adventure. I can't remember if it actually moves into 107 or not, but a two-issue adventure in which a brand new villain is uh, is um, launched into the FF canon, and unfortunately, uh, if you thought that Kirby was getting underwhelming by the end of the run on FF, here are two issues in which the villain is called The Monster, and is an amorphous blob with no distinguishing details whatsoever. Like, buried behind an energy shield so you can only see silhouettes. He is... Uh, it's it's It literally is that idea of, like, for, for one... For John Romita, who is arguably the, the master of superhero design in the 70s. You know, you can quibble, but he, there's a strong case to be made for it. The fact that you have... The monster in the streets literally looks like nothing is amazing. And the fact that Stan Lee doesn't even come up with something as clever as calling him Monocle by dropping the article really gives you an idea. Of he could have called him Monster. He could have. He could have. Look out. It's Monster. You know, so. Um, that, yes. that was actually my reaction to R.E.M.'s 1994 album. <laughs> I felt that people really needed a warning. I appreciate that. You, you're going to have to go in and put that in beforehand. It's like, REM trigger warning coming up. Trigger warning for <laughs> REM. So, uh, the monster in the streets has a beautiful splash page. I Crystal looks great. The thing oh, is the getting... The whole thing looks great. It's, it's Romita having... I mean, Romita, first of all, having problems with anatomy, shall we just say. Sure. Crystal should suddenly feel weak because apparently she has no inner organs that is fine that is perfectly acceptable you maybe don't understand the way that corsets work ground but that that is totally fine <laughs> the thing that's amazing is is that Look, that's a corset that's another reason she should feel weak she's suffocating herself oh completely i mean completely you're absolutely right it is it is probably better argued that somebody forgot to draw like the left half of her torso and it doesn't look great, but man, her hair and hands and that glimpse and even her, her delicate little right hand there. That's amazing. You've got that strange she, she chick next to Ben Grimm wearing the glasses and purple hat. You've got Ben in, uh, in sandals, which I kind of love for all the worst reasons. Like everything about the splash. I really like, and I also really like that. This is the FF as humans again. Yes. Which is, which is the classic opener at this yeah, point. Absolutely. The FF, before the disaster happens, yeah. they're doing something that we're all doing, mm -hmm. including on page two, Ben burping after yes. having too many hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love. It's terrible. 
but I love the Ben burps. I love the panel where Ben burps. Yes. Uh, and I love that immediately afterwards, there's an earthquake that he thinks he caused by burping too hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is not too strong to say that that is actually the highlight of the issue. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know, I have to scroll through my notes, but... Uh... But yeah, it's it it is. It's pretty. Although I have to say, so it turns out that it is not uh, Ben's burp. There is an explosion off in the distance. There's a strange glow in the sky, and then the buildings begin. Uh, the building nearest them begins falling apart, which they begin trying to stop from falling in a way that seems again very Kirby esque in its in the conception. Very not Kirby-esque in the execution. Part of it is that Kirby, for all of his uh, lack of attention, Mm -hmm. when Kirby's characters do something, they genuinely do something. Yeah. Whereas Ben rips a street lamp out of the ground Mm -hmm. and then apparently holds a building up by pressing the street lamp against it. Yeah. Which doesn't really make sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, Kirby seemed to be very aware of the physicality of objects, and I think would have recognized that wouldn't work. Well, I mean, it's so funny because I feel like part of the problem is Romita is actually trying to answer more of a traditional problem with superhero physics. The idea that Ben puts his hands against a wall of a collapsing building and the rest of the building would collapse around him. So there's this kind of idea of like, oh, if you distribute the weight across an entire street sign that he's using to hold it up. Like, I'm like, okay, that clearly doesn't make any sense either, but I can at least see that Romita is, he's trying to answer a very specific thing because in a way, I think he is aware part of the way that, because we have seen a scene relatively recently, right before Kirby leaves, there's a sequence where a building is collapsing. In fact, I think it's the monocle issue, sorry, monocles issue, uh, where Monocle like fires at a building, it starts to collapse. Ben swim- swings down in the Fantastic Car, jumps out and grabs it. And in a way, it shouldn't <coughs> necessarily work at all either. But Kirby, part of it's been, we've been reading the issues for so long. But Kirby makes Kirby physics work. Romita can't really wrap his brain around. Uh, Kirby physics. And the other thing is, is Kirby, again, makes it look so good. There is something so exceptionally lackluster about the first two panels of page three with Ben yoinking out the, the street lamp and then jamming it against the wall. Romita just doesn't work like that. Romita works like panels three and four of page three where Crystal suddenly faints and then Johnny grabs her you know, and is freaking out. Those are those are really pretty beautiful panels, yeah. you know, in yeah. a classic Romita way that is a huge step up. Um, so, so Crystal faints, and this is part of a super speedy writing out of Crystal from the book. Yeah. I mean, astoundingly so. Crystal faints, and Johnny returns her to the Baxter building. While he's en route, however, we get a fairly inexplicable one-page recap of the origin of the FF. Yes. Which is, is very strange. I have a theory about it, which is that it it is a way that... What's that? To, is it a way to reclaim it from Kirby? There may be that, which is the another thing that I've got going on. Because it, 
it's it might be one part reclaiming it from Kirby. I think it might also be again with Lee having a little bit more input into the plots than he has, and I think this is a sensible choice. Showing Ben's transformation into the thing in this issue is very important because it becomes the stakes for Reed in a very half-assed kind of way toward the end where the whole point, it, it really does go from what's going on with Crystal to Reed being like, at last I can finally cure Ben. And it's quite possible, you know, of course we've been reading this forever, but whether it's Stan thinking of new readers or part of him just thinking, we say that all the time, but we don't have the actual physical stakes of, hey, here's, you know, here's Ben Grimm. He was a person once before he became the thing. So it does seem to me it's we like you said, again, quasi inexplicable, but but the storytelling choices, I think at least can make some can, you can look at it that way and, and, and figure out a way that's you can be generous about it. Whereas, unfortunately, I feel you, you can't really be generous about the appearance of the big glowing monster thing that I swear to God is just like I wasn't there like a. <laughs> Wait. Before we get to the big glowing monster thing, can we talk about the fact that this issue actually cuts from Reed recounting the origin of the FF only to be interrupted by Johnny holding Crystal to Sue shopping for a page? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. is the first real chance I've had to go shopping in a week, she says, and I'm just adoring every minute of it. The last time I bought a wardrobe, it was I was shopping for maternity clothes, but now with little Franklin safely in care of that wonderful Agatha Harkness, I could let myself go with some frilly, funky, fun things. It's easier to buy slacks than to decide between midi, minis and midis. Oh, man. What is great about this is, besides the fact that Stan, Stan's inner dialogue for Sue is terrible is it you can tell that like romita is just loving this oh yeah exactly, exactly. romita is glowing in this page romita yeah. is having such fun even when her shopping trip is interrupted by by the glowing thing yes which, which makes its first proper appearance on page seven she when sue is just shopping yeah romita's in his element oh absolutely the absolutely art is so much better than it's been in the pre previous couple of issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And overall, I think we should say the art in, in 105 is significantly better than 103 or 104. Yeah, I think it is worth saying. There's some stuff in here where Romita looks very much like Romita, even with, with Fair Putin still inking him. And, and there's scenes where, like you said, this is really where Romita's comfortable. He had a huge history in romance comics before moving on to Spider-Man, which is a superhero romance comic of itself. So he's... And it's clear he enjoys drawing women and he enjoys figuring out ways to draw the storytelling on page six is so much clearer and cleaner than than what you get happening with the collapse of a building. <laughs> like mm -hmm. the smaller the scale gets, the more comfortable Romita is, you know, I'm so good at creating a fully realized scene. Yeah, think about it. the artistic highlights of this issue. This issue are the opening where they're just hanging out and buying hot dogs. Yes, absolutely. And Sue in a store. Yeah, yeah. That first no, it, panel, which has women like unfolding fabric and looking at fabric, and it's you know there is again there's a similar sequence where Sue uh, under Kirby. It's where they each get replaced by the their 
the Mad Thinker's doubles or something, where Sue is shopping in like all these mannequins. And admittedly, I feel like Kirby's trying to make a point about faceless replacement or whatever. But but it's just it just doesn't have that kind of life. And it's not a longer or shorter sequence in this. This is so slim and yet and yet Romita is so comfortable with it and really does like and it's, it's work beautiful. It. Like that that little I mean really it's like half a page before mm-hmm. things get interrupted. Yeah. But it's it's the best part of the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. Well anyway, alternately you talk about the appearance of Dr. Zoltan Rambo. Yes Zoltan Rambo oh that name. Dr. Zoltan Rambo, uh, it turns out, is has been following the glowing dude who interrupts Sue and causes another earthquake in her store. First of all, he's called Zoltan Rambo. Secondly, he looks like someone who's called Dr. Zoltan Rambo should look. Yes, absolutely. And again, you have to give it yeah, like... Yeah, a square head. That's, I want, it's one of those weird... Again... This is Kirby going with his Romita design. I mean, Romita going with his Romita's design, not his Kirby design. Like, again, there's the, some of the, the inking by Verputin makes it all look a little off-brand. But f- for those of us who really are amazed by how much Romita is fixated in over in Spider-Man with people with perfectly flat heads, this really, I, it yes, all but ums has an amazingly flat head. Unbelievable! It is great. It it he actually looks like a, a top with a goatee and a red suit. It's stunning. Um, and Talk, yes, stunning. so he appears and basically says, "I've been trying to follow and communicate with this glowing thing. I have no idea what it is. It's a glowing thing, but I'm very interested. But I don't know what it is. That's important for the next issue, people. We then cut back to Johnny." begging Reed to find out why Crystal collapsed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in what can only be described as some of the shoddiest plotting and dialogue ever to appear in Fantastic Four, <laughs> it turns out that what made Crystal collapse is she has lost her immunity, or she has no immunity, Yes, uh, to the toxins in the non-inhuman world. That's right. Which means that she has to leave the team and go back and live with the Inhumans immediately. But at the same time, while doing that, Crystal's Blood also provides the key to transform Ben back to Ben Grimm and not the thing. Yes. It's amazing, this sequence. It's also surprisingly long, this sequence. Oh, it really does. Well, I mean, there's a couple of different changes that are going on. What? Five pages? Yeah. And while there is a lot that is happening, Mm -hmm. uh, Reed has to have his discovery. Ben has to come back. Reed has to explain what's going on. Ben needs to have the creepiest response to finding out that he's going to be human again, which is old Basho Benji is going to be a lover boy again. Uh There's no way for me to read that that's not creepy. Yeah. I honestly was like, really? Are you talking about sex? Because Crystal has to say goodbye to Johnny. Johnny has to be a brat. Mm-hmm. And Crystal has to leave with the magically appeared out of nowhere lockjaw. There's so much here that is fascinating. And again, all of it is, um, well, it's, it's, you know, here's Stan trying to basically, like, I'm doing the characterization that we know from the FF and, and trying to bring it to those levels and which weren't great before. And it's just, it's just all a mess. I mean, I, I, the, the fact that Johnny, 
snaps at Reed on page nine and says, okay, okay, just remember, I love this girl. How cool would you be if Sis were in her place? And Reed says, I'd like to think my reaction would be the same. Anyone can lose his head, lad, can fly off the handle. But that's never saved a person yet. And some reason we don't see the scene where Johnny's like, bullshit. What about the scenes where you practically had a hernia when Sue was in danger and you threw complete <laughs> hissy fits and you were a total crybaby about it? So instead, they're they're like... There is just this amazing I it stands like okay I'm trying to I'm trying to bring what the FF is and it's kind of because it's been on autopilot for so long and suddenly I feel like he's the guy who has to drive he's kind of like I I remember uh yeah, I, and he actually calls this out in dialogue mm-hmm. as Crystal and Johnny are saying goodbye to each other Mm-hmm. Rita's has explained that Crystal has to leave. Uh, Lockjaw is, is about to appear and and take her away. Ben says it never ends. Does it stretch? After you find the cure for me, you'll have to get back to her again. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is far too on the nose. <laughs> that is so you funny. Know, it, it's it's far too on the. I'm setting up a perpetual motion machine of problems. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably, and, and of of recurring problems. Like Crystal has. Before this issue, not had any adverse effects. Oh, Although there was, I want to say there was a, a mention during the Kirby reign that she would have to take some sort of medication. That maybe sounds familiar. But but nonetheless, like, you know, earlier on, she, she was fine. Like, she's not shown any adverse effects in, at least since she's joined the team. Mm-hmm. And now she is gone within five pages. Right. Very much feels like this is Lee taking control of the team. And yeah. that Lee never really wanted Crystal there. I am going to actually sort of semi-disagree with you. I personally think that Lee sadly could not give two craps about Crystal one way or the other. It's that he needs to figure out a way to give Johnny something to do. and Some th- angst. Yeah, it's like, because he really ups the angst factor, not only in this issue, but in the issues following. He's very much like, we got to give... Johnny's got to have something. And of course, he turns into a terrifying stalker, as he usually does, just as Crystal's about to part. And let's face it, it says something, to me, the thing that is, uh, that really underscores this is the idea that Crystal has to leave. She's got to leave. It's established on every page. Johnny is losing his mind, is once again willing to become a pyromaniac and just about burn everything down. But at no point does she, he, or anyone else on the team suggest that he go with her, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. super important. It's like, Johnny's got to be here. Why? Meh, he's in the book. We got to give him yeah. something to do. You know, here we get a, you know, we get a page of him like doing dynamic flying about, and we know that he's angst-ridden. I think, honestly, it's just Stan being very aware that it's like he can't... He ups the disagreeableness of the team and their own angst significantly over this over these next couple of issues, and I, I honestly think that's that's it. So I don't, I don't... Myself, I don't think that he really... Like I said, uh, sadly, I think that stands. Yeah, Crystal really could mean nothing to him other than she's the vehicle to for with which to deliver more angst to Johnny. Exactly, exactly. So Johnny storms out. That's not a pun. Yeah. <laughs> of the back of the building. It really wasn't meant to be one. Um, comes across Sue, who is, of course, still with Dr. Sultan Rambo. Yes. And the glowing dude. Yeah. Uh, 
she is containing the glowing dude mm-hmm. uh, in an, uh, an invisible shield and can't do it for very long. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So Johnny <laughs> flies back to the Baxter building where it turns out Reed has started a, an experiment to turn the thing back into Ben Grimm and is forced to choose between his wife and his best friend. His oh. wife and his best friend. Now I'm called upon to sacrifice one of them. How can I do it? How? How? The issue ends. <laughs> and and let me just say that, again, this is one of those situations where along the lines of Reed Richards being such a horrible person slashed to the level of a supervillain, not only does he not even wait. I mean, there's a whole situation in which the whole city was falling apart, which is how these people all came which, together which in the first place. Everyone forgot about it. Like, the thing yeah. actually comes back into the Baxter building and says, yeah. don't mind me, I was just holding up a building. Yes, exactly. Point, are they but, like, we should see what that was about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, that weird Romita thing where there's so much going on and he doesn't know how to handle it. And to be fair, I mean, I'm relatively sure that Romita has not handled a team book, you know, at this point. It's like he's did Daredevil, he's done Spider-Man, I'm sure, you know, the romance stuff. He's just, the dynamic of having everyone do stuff is throwing him significantly. So, yeah, everyone has to forget about Sue. Meanwhile, Reed, who, you know, is, it jumps right in on this ridiculous situation. Uh, And then, like I said, in in a mode not unlike a supervillain, when he's told that, uh, quote, your own wife is in deadly danger, um, and Reed says, what? Why did you leave her, boy? Since when does the torch run for help? Which is the most penisist thing I think <laughs> Reed has said, and sometimes it is such an intolerable dick move immediately followed by him being like, who do I choose my lover or my wife? And it's just, uh, it's just <laughs> my lover or my wife. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, okay, sorry. That, that's more of Jeff's head cannon leaking out. I was here. Say, that, that is totally Jeff ships read Ben. Oh, totally. I mean, now that we're several issues in and this is going to proceed just to, just to muddy the waters for the next 300 issues for you and most other of our listeners, uh, Graham, let's face it. Reed Richards could have cured Ben from like day one, but he doesn't. He just well, continues to make it look like he could. Why? Because Reed is sexually, att- like Alicia, is sexually attracted to Ben as a giant rock dude, which is why so many issues of the Fantastic Four involve Reed insisting that Ben pick up heavy machinery in his little tight trunks and carry them from one side of the lab for to the other for issues on end. There's like no reason for it whatsoever. He could have gotten himself a hand crane or something. No, not built himself one. Exactly. That guy invents anything. He couldn't invent himself a goddamn hand cart. No. Why? Because there's nothing better than watching Ben Grimm hold something over his head and walk around and complain about how he can't find a place to put it. It goes on forever. So anyway, yes, I'm just going to say right here. That while I am willing to support this, in my head canon, uh, the feelings are not reciprocated. Oh yeah, 
No, I think that I think that's Reed loves true. Ben, but Ben does not love Reed. No, 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 no. No, I agree. Which is actually the reason why this is why this is why Reed has to manipulate him, and there's this terrible unrequited love, and it's part of the reason why Reed gets so grouchy every time he's interrupted in his experiments. Ben, <laughs> meanwhile, very straight, very oblivious. End of hand cannon. Okay, so. And we have come to the end of uh, 105. And actually, Jeff, bizarrely, we actually really do have to pick up the pace in order to do the rest of these. Oh, my God. Oh, my. See, (laughs) I knew this would happen. Once we were like, oh, and on this page, there's just too much comical stuff to actually complain about. There's no way. We'll see what we can get through. But 106. Must the FF lose a life before they can learn the monster secret? Spoilers. No. Uh, Spoiler part two. Stan has clearly decided what the monster's secret is and decided this after writing the previous issue. Yeah. Anyway, plus side of this issue, Joe Sinnott's back. And yes. immediately the book looks better. Oh, so much so. And in fact, you get Ramita and Sinnott actually on the same page. looks glorious. It proves that they're not the same person, which, you know, maybe some Although people... Although, it has to be said, Ramita and Sinnott's combination... When you get Sue in this issue, you're like, they should have been doing all the romance books. Oh, completely. Completely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. Anyway, this issue opens with the solution to Reed's dilemma in which Johnny has the superpower that he's never had before and will never have again, which is instead of flaming on, he will invite all the heat of the room into him so that everything freezes solid. Yeah. I have got to say that I think there is a space for this in the original, um, in the original very, very early Lee Kirby FFs that there's a point where they talk about the idea that, that Johnny can control all forms of heat. I feel like there's a thing like, isn't there something where he like, draws like all the heat out of the room and then uses an icicle to like stab a machinery object in one of those death traps. Anyway, I, I, I don't remember it, but it's definitely not something that he does on a regular basis. Would no. you think he would? No. If I were the human torch. Yeah. I sure. would be perfectly fine with stopping, for example, giant robots by mm-hmm. freezing solid. Yes, absolutely. No, 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 no. It's, I'm just saying like, as an idea well, so, goes and let's face the, it, Everything about the sequence is super weird. Oh, it's completely I can't weird. leave this experiment. It's at a critical phase. Why don't you freeze the room? Yeah. Oh, even better is the is the point where uh, it's Johnny's like, absorb heat. Sure, I can do it. But what? And he's like, use your head, boy. I don't want Ben to go into shock. There, that adjusts the humidity level. And then he just runs off. And Johnny has to explain <laughs> what's going hilarious. on. It's hilarious. I'm like... <laughs> It's so good. It's like Reed's like, but this also, is so critical. I'm going to run off with after, after he leaves, uh, Johnny has to fly away and expel the heat. And in the process, in page five, you see he is pretty much frozen. What looks like at least three floors of the Baxter building. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, top residents of the Baxter building. I'm really hoping there's no... If Willie Lumpkin was making his like afternoon deliveries, bad news. Also... Let's face it. There's a lot. There's the, I. I. One of the things that I've learned uh, in these this run of the FF 
is how much I, comic book dialogue I can literally take for granted. There's stuff that I do not challenge. I'm, of course, making fun of, like I said, Stan is more or less uh, improv on each scene as he goes. So you have sequences where he's like, reads like, you figure it out and runs off because there's enough time for Johnny to explain what's happening on the next yes. page. Oh, it makes sense. I'm willing to cut him some slack. Similarly, we are we are coming up on the dreaded uh, punctuation slippage in later oh, issues. Which, which is terrible. Oh my uh, god. People who listened to us talking about the Avengers read-through when we did it, there's a point in Marvel books where they just stop using periods. Yeah. They don't even replace them with anything. They just stop using periods. Yeah. So, Well, so first off, this is one of the things. I think I was ridiculously late in life when I realized that Steve Englehart, everything he said, like all of his characters' dialogue, everything ended in exclamation points. What an asshole I am. Then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Every superhero comic book, everyone's dialogue ends in exclamation points. Oh, okay. I'd never seen this for a ridiculously long period of my life. I will now going back to paying no attention to it. So what's amazing... It's, it's exclamation points or M dashes. Yeah, that's, it's, it's fine. I'm, it's natural. In fact, people who read emails for me, I've realized now this makes a horrible amount of sense on, on my own writing, quote-unquote, style. Fine. All, I'm, all of which is to say, it's invisible to me. At some point, and I screenshotted the bullpen bulletins page where supposedly they'd started it on the other books earlier, but there's a point in the FF where they switch from exclamation points to periods, and it looks weird. Like, they try and keep the exclamation point in check for big statements, and just the period makes it look incredibly understated. I don't know if we'll get there in this episode, but there's some hilarious well, sentences. But there's, there's also the point where they have no period. And then they the disappear. Exactly. <laughs> the battle between the Thing and the Hulk at issue 112 is the weirdest, strangest, monotonous... Ugh. Anyway... All of which is to say, page five, I have no idea. They have thought balloons. People used thought balloons back then. Why? I'm okay with Johnny explaining within an inch of his life everything that he's doing. Why, Why isn't he just thinking loud. it? Yeah, out loud. He actually says, I'm blacking out, can't keep myself aloft. He says it out loud. It's it's kind of amazing. He, he just likes he literally likes to hear himself talk. It's well, you know, if you're around Reed Richards for a while, I think it's an occupational it's, hazard. Exactly. Let's uh, talk get... Reed. Yes. Uh, Sue is faint. Sue basically faints mm -hmm. uh, after trying to keep the the monster uh, contained in her shield for that long. And of course, as she faints, she says, "Reed, my darling, only you could have saved us." Uh, <laughs> Thank God, then, the Reed appears, yeah. gets zapped by the monster, but explains, if I hadn't been able to stretch to let my body's elasticity bear the brunt of the blast, I'd be finished. Yeah. Uh, thank God that he appears and takes both Drizolton Rambo and a collapsed Sue to safety so that they can exposition the hell out of everything. Oh, yes. In fact, so much so that I do want to point out that on page nine... Uh, Zoltan Rambo becomes Philip, uh, where Reed actually says, go on, Philip, keep talking. The more we know, the more we can help. It would be awesome if he just had the name wrong and, and Zoltan Rambo doesn't bother to correct him, but eh, whatever. Well, well, would you? I mean, really? They, there are times. I mean, he's just tearfully confessed to the secret of the monster, which is the that... The monster, by the way, 
it, which is that he is uh, Zoltan Rambo's son. I'm going to call him Zoltan. I, I don't care yeah. if his name is now no, Philip. No, I get He's it. always Zoltan to me. Yeah, Zoltan. Zoltan Phil Rambo. Uh, but even though in the previous issue he was like, I don't know where this uh, where this thing came from. I'm just trying to communicate with it. He's now like, it's my son. I yeah. turned him into this monster. Funny story, you guys. I, I actually kind of dig the idea that he actually was trying to cover it up, even though it makes no sense. Like the whole idea your son's going to go on a rampage. All we can say is let's assume that, that Dr. Rambo has some serious uh, insurance payments that he let slip and he is in this serious shit now and finally has to own up to uh, a rather flimsy cover story. Um and meanwhile, what is fabulous is on page 11. Now, again, we've talked about Johnny blacks out. That's right. On the last panel of page five in the atmosphere. From that time, we have <laughs> Sue blackout, Reed show up, f- save a police officer, jump back, grab Philip Rambo. We get an actual, sorry, Sultan Rambo. We get an entire flashback sequence him weeping, firemen showing up, and only then on page 11 on panel one, do you see Johnny Storm falling out of the sky as he must have been doing for the past 15 minutes? Well, he, A, he was in the upper atmosphere. And B, as he then says, he's not been, unco- he's not been blacked out for any of it. Yes. Because the rush of air has been keeping him conscious. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just say that he's been trying to flame on and yeah. that's been slowing his descent. Right, because right. there's there's one crucial element that has been missing. The important thing that he needs to be able to flame on, which is Reed Richards nagging him like a total dick on page which, 12. Which is exactly what happens. Yeah. On page 11, Johnny says that he can't flame on, and then Reed literally nags him into doing it on page 13. <laughs> and then, once flame again... Flame on, son, flame on, while there's still time. Try harder, Johnny, harder, don't let us down. Don't let us down, which is just it's great. Such an embarrassment to me if you fall to your doom. Yeah, exactly. Don't I'll be a dick. Look at you the same way. Think of your mother. Johnny, I mean me. Collapsing into the pavement into a puddle is such a dick move. A total dick move. And God it's bless him. Not a dick move because Reed is totally ch- channeling Donald Trump here. Oh yeah. It's a. It's weak. It's weak. You're a loser. You're a loser. You're a huge disappointment. Sorry, I didn't pick up on your Trump invitation. Huge. Anyway, Johnny flames on, pulls up at the last minute, and says... Fine, as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely fine. I have no power. Oh, shit. Reed's knocked me into it. Then he's like, I'm flying around and talking. Hey, thanks, Reed, if you hadn't kept him from blasting me. And then shouted at me that way. I do also like that Johnny does credit the shouting. Yes. No, of course. It is that classic. Like, like Stan Lee, he was doing it when Jack was there. Jack is gone. It is totally, slowly morphing into a creepy uh, Reed Richards love fest. In fact, it honestly, that whole thing where, like, Johnny, who actually has to reach inner reserves within himself and then thanks Reed for it. I'm like, oh, I get it. The FF is a cult. Like, Reed Richards is this scary (laughs) cult leader that all of them worship because, I don't know, he's putting drugs in their food, like, and, you know, banishing all their rational thoughts to the quote-unquote negative zone. Yes, I'm I'm pitching Unstable Molecules 2 right here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go with it. (laughs) 
Um, uh, oh man. Um, plot wise, uh, Reed sends Johnny and Philip Rambo. Mm-hmm. So Philip Zoltan Rambo uh, off to get the the failsafe that Zoltan Rambo has forgotten he made, but thank God Reed was there to tell him that he made. Oh, it gets worse. Because that's what happens. But while that is happening, you have to slow down Larry, because Larry is actually the name of the monster. His name is Larry Monster. Um, and he does that by wrapping himself around Larry uh, Monster. And spectacularly rolling him into an armory. Yes. Because it says, the heavy cement walls may provide enough protection. I don't know, Reed. If I had a guy who was full of explosive energy, I would not move him into an armory, which probably has explosive things in there. His whole ability is to take the kinetic energy of other things and absorb it into himself. Let's put him in the area where there's all this deadly weaponry. Again, maybe there's sort of a, oh, let's make war no more. But let's face it, it's just half-assed. No, no, it's, not. it's not. It's just this random, random thing. Also... It's very strange to me that this guy is explosive energy, and Reed can nonetheless wrap himself around him like a ball. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And again, we just have one of those situations. At all. I, I just have to blame, again, Romita, just bless his heart. He just he doesn't get it. Like, I mean, that is the thing. Like, you get Kirby, Kirby is doing crazy weirdo stuff with Mr. Fantastic. Like, I'm going to turn his right hand into an enormous mace while he's turning upside down and, like, you know, squiggling through a keyhole. And John Romita's, like, looking at the big ball of rubber bands on his desk and goes, oh, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, a big ball of rubber bands. Like, I'm just like, what? How does that, what? Okay, but again... A thing that is amazing. Dr. Rambo shows up with his failsafe device that he created, that he forgot about, and because his hands are trembling, Reed, who has just been shot in the back with an energy blast, is like, no, no, I've got to do this, not you. And he basically says, if the device is incorrectly set, anything can happen. So in the ultimate, like... But he says that to the guy who made the device. I know! And they're (laughs) like, oh, but you're so weak, you've been hurt. Like, this is... It'll probably get worse later, but as far as I can tell, page 18 is... No, 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 because it does get worse in the next panel, where Zoltan Rambo says to Reed, you've never seen it before, and yet you're setting it far more precisely than I could ever hope to do. Exactly. We've reached peak Mary Sueisms. This is peak Mary Sueism on page 18, where Reed Richards is so absolutely perfect in Every way, despite the fact that he everything that comes out of his mouth makes him sound like a garbage person, uh, it is <laughs> remarkable. But, but as the the failsafe is fired towards Philip, we do get the wonderful stand moral of the episode. Yes, I should have known you can't end war and violence with a weapon. The answer <laughs> to power can never be more power. Which is I nearly sacrificed my own son on the altar of my faith in technology. You know what that made me think of, by the way? Uh, you know, for those who were paying, it made me think of, like, for 10 points of extra credit, I put this in my notes, for 10 points of extra credit, compare and contrast this dialogue balloon with The Glory Boat by Jack Kirby. You know? <laughs> this is, But this is way before The Glory Boat, right? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. But of course, Kirby's gearing up. But I'm not saying that one influenced the other or anything. I'm just saying, like, here's something that Stan puts in a throwaway panel in which you've got a guy, the monster, who I joked had no better name before you pointed out that I was wrong. And he's actually called Larry. Uh, Larry Monster. Who is sacrificed on the altar of the faith in technology, except... He doesn't really die. He goes off in an ambulance. And then you contrast this with the operatic heights that Jack Kirby goes on to hit uh, in The New Gods with the glory boat issue. And it's it's stunning to me. It's just, I mean, part of it is like, okay, they're each doing their own things. Things are being swapped out. There's other stuff. I mean, you know, these guys are working together. But I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, sort of what Stanley's sort of writing on the back of a napkin is pretty much what, what Kirby is, you know, turning into a crazy masterpiece, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, later on. And, and in a way that is, is, I think it's relatively safe to say literally everything that fantastic Four, one Oh five and one Oh six are not. So, yes. And, and, and uh, maybe not should have been, but could have been, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's, there's the potential here in the base story to to have done something really really great the yeah. problem is the, the base story the man who transformed his child into something unstoppable mm-hmm. uh in his zealotry towards a higher goal didn't even come about until issue 106 yeah exactly part way through and yeah it all seems a little uh, again stan is an amazing improviser like his his like yes and thens can be pretty amazing, but then it it literally doesn't go anywhere. Three seconds later, someone's like, "Oh, I've got a banana, and it's also a rocket." He's like, "Oh, rocket banana!" You know, it's <laughs> very much. Exactly, Reed invented the rocket banana. Yeah, let uh, me tell you perfectly, and he calibrated it better than anyone could have uh, calibrated that rocket banana. Slash. Uh, hashtag headcanon, hashtag Ben in the bathing suit holding up instruments. So, uh, yeah. So uh, after everything is taken care of with Larry Monster, they run back to the Baxter <laughs> building, which is totally frozen, and Ben is inside. Instead of making the cliffhanger, oh shit, we've frozen Ben. Yes. The cliffhanger is instead Reed saying, can he survive? final change yes which is great because it's that classic case of stan being like uh i gotta up the ante like he's he's such a he's he he's aware that there's something missing but then sometimes the way that he goes is such a wrong direction because he's like like, "I've, i've got to do something i've got to do something yeah yeah and so consequently let's jump over to ff 107 and I'll do it your way. From a successful experiment, the FF find tragedy and terror. And now, The Thing. Uh, by Stanley and John Basima with Senate inking Basima. Uh, and it starts with you literally have Ben frozen in a block. Reed on the front page is gripping his fist and saying, I've got to know. Can Ben survive the final change? And Again, I I say to you, is that not like an incredible supervillain dick move? Like your friend is frozen in a block <laughs> oh, of ice. So so much of it is is an amazing supervillain dick move. Mm-hmm. If you think about what he actually does in this story, yes, it's terrible. Yeah, 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 completely. He totally turned around, was like, "I can cure you, Ben." 
If it doesn't kill you, by the way, I'm just mentioning that now, Johnny seems incredibly aghast and says, you mean if the experiment fails, poor Ben will pay for it with his life? And and Reed's kind of like, yeah, but I've got to know. I've got to know. Can he survive it? You know, so it's it's this in, in trying to find even higher stakes uh stan has 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 pushed reed one step closer to a insane megalomaniac who is completely uncaring about everyone around him and the thing that's funny is even when you get those stakes so high you get a sequence like uh page 2 and 3 in which the ff must work together to dynamically melt some ice and uh <laughs> also the ff must work together to dynamically melt some ice Including Sue having to shield uh, Reed, apparently from steam. Yes. Yeah. In, yeah. It's crazy. I need your protective force field around me in case an energy feedback should cause a sort, short circuit. I'm like, this is Dr. Doom. This is a craven coward. Who... Yeah. Don't protect yourself, you guys. Yeah. In yeah. fact, explicitly leave Johnny out of the force field. Exactly. Because I need him to melt shit. Yeah. And then I'm going to complain because there's steam. So uh, it's so good. It's so it really is. It's just this. Thank, is... thank God, though, it all goes to plan and allows Reed to press the final button yes. to initiate the final change. That's right. Which transforms the thing back into Ben Grimm again. It's successful, but as Reed says, this is something you don't expect. This time I've succeeded beyond our wildest hopes. This time the change is permanent. Spoilers? No, it's not. And even more. You haven't lost your superpower. You can become a thing, thing again anytime you want to, just by willing yeah. it. Yeah. Which is which is uh, let's face it. It this this is again, it's an interesting idea, and I, I appreciate the fact that Lee actually doubles down in the fact that it takes. This is going to play out over five issues, you know. Yeah. And, Although which, I have to say, five issues too long. Oh, completely. I mean, on the other hand. It's kind of terrible. Uh, but this issue actually in in and of itself, I I kind of have a certain amount of, there's a focus to it. I, I really appreciate on like page four, the sequence with which Ben gets, uh, the thing gets turned back into Ben Grimm. I really like the fact that he looks scarily impassive and kind of pissed off through the whole sequence, even when he turns back, like you get a panel where he, you know, then is like, Oh, hooray. Ha ha ha. We look at me. Um, all this happy stuff, but that happens, you know, through to page seven, pretty much. But that first panel, that first set of panels by Basima and Sinnott is meant to really underscore something's gone wrong and, and it's gone wrong with Ben. And I, I kind of, I like that. I mean, it's not necessarily a surprise by this point, but, um, you know. Exactly. Although the, the, having him doing the "you can change about the thing anytime you want" is a great, great fake out. Yeah, it totally because is. it allows you to think nothing's gone wrong, and yeah. we still get we still get the thing. Yeah, we really do have our cake and eat it. We're we're doing fine now. Yeah, yeah, and I do. I, I appreciate. We'll we'll of course jump back, but I I do appreciate throughout this issue one of the things that is fantastic is the sequence between pages uh, 9 to 13 really escalate um, what's wrong with Ben. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and is I I, I and a, a lovely understated. Exactly. Uh, it is very subtle. Yeah. The realization that something is wrong. Yeah. Because initially the joke that he he just wants to freak people out by turning into Ben Grimm mm-hmm. is something in turning into the thing is something you can imagine Ben Grimm doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. At you know, each it's stage. Mm-hmm. The, when he then turns into the thing to stop the 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 robbers. Right. And <clears> is <throat> just you know slightly more brutal. There's the idea that something's wrong and then his anger at Alicia for wanting him to transform back into Ben Grimm is the the, the kicker that something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 really I I like it. I it's really well done. And it is that moment of like, oh maybe, like maybe. I say all that, but I just you know, in between the before we get to that sequence, we have a sequence where the human torch uh sort of, you know, whinges about crystal and then flies off saying saying something like, Sure, my big brother brain brother in law can solve everyone else's problems, but not even a million Fantastic Fours could stop Johnny Storm from losing the girl he loves which I'm like Dude, it's just been a couple of minutes. And I think of one thing that we've learned from the last storyline is it's not a good idea to fix a problem too soon, especially when there's a monster turning up the city. Uh, But then, amazingly enough, although it looks lovely, the sequence where uh, on page eight where Johnny lands on a water tower and mopes, you can see, again, you can see Stan trying to go for a, a, a deeper sense of continuity with these characters trying to deepen the characterization. Unfortunately, he chooses this tact of having Johnny say, like, I've always been told, wait till you're older, Johnny, wait till you know better, Johnny. He chooses kind of the traditional, like, Oh, it's a teenager being told this and this and that. And I'm like, no one has literally said that to Johnny in 106 issues ever. Exactly. Yes. No one has that. That's you're complaining about something that has never happened. Interestingly enough, it then happens on the next page. Right, exactly. Which you, then, like... you then have Sue say, <laughs> uh, I can't imagine how poor Johnny feels with Crystal gone, but he's still young. He'll get over sooner or later. Yeah. As if to retroactively yes, you know, exactly. set up. Oh, no, it really has been happening. You just haven't seen it. However, page eight features in an issue where Ben being off with Alicia is a plot point. Yes. Uh, page eight features... Reed's just being a dick. Super villain Reed being like, <laughs> but please, like, dear. Really, 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 really terrible. Yeah. That Sue comments on and is not a plot point. Yeah. Exactly. Please, dear, don't go feminine on me just now. I haven't the time or the patience, he says. Yeah. Can't you see I'm involved in something important? And... And her, which is great, because it is. It's such, it's so, yeah, in, a, in an See, issue. That is, if that happened now, that is Doctor Doom having taken over Reed's body. Exactly. And that's, that's the moment where you realize it. it. Completely. Completely. But no, it's just Reed. And the thing that's great is, I mean, I, it's awesome that Sto- Sue storms out being like, he's never spoken to me that way before. Well, yeah, he kind of has. And he'll have a lot of apologizing to do when I return. I won't be snapped at that way by anyone. And I'm like, oh, Sue, you have not been paying attention either, have you? So so I'm like, okay. But it is. It's a new level. Like, Stan is trying to amp some of this stuff up, which is why the Ben sequence is pretty masterful by comparison. Uh, 
And yet you also do get this sense, like he's trying to make this team like be sort of torn apart and a little angrier and more feet of clayish and, and a feuding family. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting idea. The execution, though, is at a level of that, that approaches the unhinged, at least with the other characters. So. Ugh. So, so, so while this is going on, Reed is contacted by Janus. Janus, who very oddly, they call out in a caption box. So bad. That Reed knows him, but you've never met him before. And But don't worry. Yes. Caption Box actually says, don't worry, bewildered one. If you can't remember who Janus is, he's new to the story. You've never met him before, but Reed has. Just wait. It'll all tie together, we hope. Yeah. Which is amazingly self-conscious. Because, you know, just an issue earlier, Zoltan Rambo had met Reed before. They Mm -hmm. refer to previous things that we've never seen. And it hasn't been a problem. Yeah. You and I know, Jeff, and the reader knows as soon as they get to the next issue, that the reason they're doing this is Janus actually comes from an unused Kirby issue. Mm-hmm. And they're going to plug some of those Kirby pages in. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's almost a, you know, flop sweat knowing that they're basically going to, you know, bastardize unused Kirby artwork. Yeah, yeah. It is very flop sweaty. Again, sort of as you have like Johnny. That was the other thing. When I mentioned Johnny, like narrating everything that happens as he flies up into the stratosphere, it is actually unlike the previous issues, say like, you know, 103 or 104. It's incredibly clear what's going on. There's a few points where Stan is just so clearly rattled that he does not have faith in his material. He just doesn't trust the audience to get it. He does not trust that any of the pages are landing. And so there's some weird choices. Nothing undermines this whole Janus storyline. And I, there's a lot of things underline, undermining this Janus storyline as it unfolds. But the fact that it opens with Stan apologizing for it and underlining what they're going to be doing so that nobody quote unquote gets confused is, uh, is really disappointing is, is really surprising and disappointing. Um, uh, anyway, so also surprising and disappointing is, uh, Basima and Sinnott's conceptions of the monsters of the, um, the negative zone on page 15, one of whom looks like salacious crumb in, uh, bell bottoms and the other of which looks like snork from the banana splits. So that's actually what it looks like in the negative zone. Uh, Janus is here because he wants to go to the negative zone. He wants uh, for to go reasons- there unexplained yeah this leads to a two-page flashback yes uh, of ff annual uh six i believe yes maybe? although i think they call it a king size special but it is uh, that's true and it was yeah. actually called king size special that that's you're, you're entirely right as is stanley um <laughs> wherein we recall that the last time the ff were in the negative zone they met annihilus yeah that's just as an explanation of reed saying listen don't go to the negative zone it's actually super dangerous janus doesn't care he actually says that he says i care nothing for our world i only care for janus yes and then he reveals that he can zap everything because his gun is not metal it is plastic and therefore it fools reed richards electro scanners yes reed richards electro scanners clearly just a posh name for metal detector <laughs> well let's not even forget the thing that is awesome about reed which is like janus shows up and pretty much in like the the third or fourth panel is like 
you know, Reed's like, I've told you before, no one can enter the negative zone. And he's like, I must. It's my only chance, my only hope. You've been there and returned safely. Why can't I? And what's great is Reed is like, come with me. I'll show you. Again, taking a step from the Dr. Doom monomaniacal uh, textbook, Reed actually opens up every defense level to the negative zone takes Janus in, shows him everything, and then <laughs> more or less keeps He's his like, turned. and if you press this button, it opens the door. Right, which is why but you that's... cannot do it. Yeah, oh, so don't, good. Don't, don't press this button. Yeah, That would be bad if you press this button. This button right here. This button marked, <laughs> open the negative zone. Exactly. The shiny, uh, candy-colored button. So, surprisingly, Janus does, in fact, zap Reed and then presses the button and goes through to the negative zone. Yeah. Uh, we we know this because Johnny gets back to the Baxter building, says that he wants to talk to Reed, while Ben is looking at a girly mag, which I love. Mm-hmm. They're like, how do we get over that Ben is not himself? Not yes. only he's a newspaper or a comic book. Yeah. This time, he's looking at a girly mag. It's such a perfect little creepy touch. So good. So good. Uh, so yes, there's. So they get back, and it turns out Reed's like, "Oh shit, you guys, stop fighting!" I just looked on my television, and my the television says that Janus has gone through the negative zone. Balls, exactly. <laughs> Drats. He's now become the most horrible human being of all time. No, Next no, issue. He's actually become the most dangerous human of all. Sorry, that's right. Next. The reason why. I know. I Stan love that goes, next issue. That is yes. so funny. Oh. Even Stan is like, oh shit, you guys, this makes no sense. Yes. Alex, oh, that's issue. Yeah. Every he's, he's been building up all this amazing stuff with his next issue blurbs. And this one is the reason. Like, honest, okay, let's just go with us here. So great. And uh, yeah. And, so, and who, who do you bring in to explain everything, Jeff? You bring in Jack Kirby. Fantastic Four issue 108, the entire world may crumble if the FF fails to solve the monstrous mystery of the Nega Man. By Stanley and Jack Kirby, with last-minute revisions, deletions, and addenda by S. Lee, J. Basema, and J. Romita. That's that's a, a kind way of saying, guess what, you guys? We've literally cut up some Kirby pages you haven't seen before and created a story around it. And again, part of me is like, uh, I'll have a lot of complaints about things, but I do have to say that it does manage to give enough of a breather to all involved that some of the stuff that comes after this is stronger than what we've seen. I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel that Basima and Sinnott, um, there's some really lovely looking panels in there. And I, I, Basima is a more um, assured storyteller in terms of large-scale dynamics, but it's still kind of thing, things still aren't clicking. Anyway, yes, we see Kirby in here. Do you now? Do you know the story behind this issue? The, uh, in other words, the uh, the unused art. Why it was unused? Was I, it a full I, issue? I do not. And I actually spent a lot of this <clears> issue trying to work out what era it came from. It certainly seems like latter era Kirby to me, because for a number of reasons. Yes, um, well, it, it, I, I'm guessing it comes from when Crystal is a member of the team and Sue isn't. Mm, mm-hmm. You never see a Kirby panel with Sue in it. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, also, there's just that those little levels of. <sighs> 
you know, you've you've got the dynamic storytelling. You know, you you've got the Nega Man once again looks is you know looks not unlike a more slender version of the Mad Thinker in some ways, but he his design is underwhelming. There's there's no real visual zing to it. And let's face it, I mean. We start. We start off for people who want to know. Actually, I guess the story of of this issue of issue one hundred eight. And God bless you and forgive you at the same time. It starts off with Reed saying, "You know, well, Johnny's like Reed. Your view screen shows Janus plunging into the negative zone, but how?" And he's like, "He stole into the lab, got past my defenses, and now he's become the most dangerous human of all." And Ben says, I don't read you, Stretch. So he busted into the negative zone. So what? And which is great because Ben actually remembers the events that Reed starts showing on the old view screen or or is is alternately people thinking back. I guess they're thinking back to the time that the strange gyroscopic aircraft attacked the very heart of New York. But I'm like, Ben, you were there. This guy is called the Nega Nega man who draws negative energy and is gone into the negative zone where he's got an endless supply of it. Why are you even giving reach it? And the answer, because Stanley is pretty much still making it up as he goes along. And it's a good hook to have Reed be challenged to move into. Well, let me show you via this convenient flashback of other Kirby art. Well, a flashback, which again, there is flops right over because you have a caption saying, if none of this makes sense to you, don't worry about it. Only Mix Up Marvel would attempt to show flashback scenes from a story you've never printed before. Yes. Which, let's face it, is, again, Stan being really... If I were Stan, I, I would have left that out. But also, I maybe would have tried to explain why Ben Grimm is standing in a safety deposit box completely unimpressed by the appearance of the Nega Man. Part of me gets it. I think it's a good Kirby gag. Um, I would also try and maybe work harder to explain why Johnny Storm suddenly appears because the explanation by the Nega Man, so the Human Torch was supposed to meet his best bestial friend here. Yes, Nega Man, the idea that Ben and Johnny actually made an appointment to meet in a safe. Well, to be, to be fair... Johnny does show up and say, Ben, I'm sorry I'm late. Yes. No, I get that this is the official explanation. I'm just saying, Graham, next time you and I meet, let's meet at a bank in a safe while I review my safety deposit box. You know, I'm, because I'm, that's I'm a, that. it's a good place to hang out. Yeah, it, no, that, that's great. I'm, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm right there. Again, we see in Kirby <laughs> just that weird mix of nice little character bits uh, even if they're not quite formed together, and some amazing dynamicism, so that by the time you get to page, is it page seven, where you literally cut between the first few panels are Kirby, and then the rest of the page is yes. Basima? It's Yes, yeah. It, it's it's weird, like it's disorienting, because you're like, oh, wait. Yeah. Uh... I, I should tell you that while while we have been talking, I have Googled, and this was actually meant to be issue 102. Oh, interesting. Wow. And it was turned down at the pencil stage, which is why 102 that saw print is what 102 is. Mm. Okay. Okay. Which is to say a really hasty mess and, and yeah, Kirby being kind of fed up. So interesting. But, but they obviously decided to use the, the artwork nonetheless and, and use not just the artwork, the character. Although the, yeah. the, the Janus that, that eventually you, appears... Mm-hmm. Uh, in this is, is 
is not necessarily the Janus that Kirby intended. And and from page seven onwards, there, there is a lot of cutting between Kirby and uh, Buscema art. Mm-hmm. So, for example, on page nine, mm-hmm. the top panel is Kirby and none the rest of the pages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, then you get the next page, which is by and large is almost entirely Kirby, maybe the next two pages, and then you cut back to... You know, the, unsurprisingly, from your flashback, it's just, it's very strange the way things are pieced together. And also it's very strange, like, again, you've got, I, I, it would not surprise me if part of the reason why 102 was rejected is that opening with the Nega Man breaking into the bank and Ben being so incredibly unbothered. And then Johnny showing up, it just, Literally, even by Kirby standards, it doesn't quite make sense. It's really kind of off. So I kind of get it, but it's fascinating that in their haste, to first they reject it, and then in their haste to piece together something bigger. Because I think Kirby was going to go, as a lot of what we see here, um, where the nature of Janus is uh, revealed seems like a very Kirby-esque kind of done in one. And the fact that they're trying to blow it into, he's the most dangerous man alive now that he has access to the negative zone that I totally gave him because I turned my back on him like an idiot after under, you know, turning off all the other equipment. <sighs> read, read, read. So yeah, kind of a, kind of a weird uh, cock up of an issue. I'm not even quite sure how to go about trying to summarize it because it cuts back and forth so much, you know, uh, I think all you really need to get from this issue, besides the fact that it is a very, very strange um, mishmash of existing art and a, a new art trying to explain the existing art and plug it into a whole new narrative. But story-wise, all you really need is that the the Negaman is, is Janus who created an evil double of himself mm-hmm. um, only to apparently destroy his evil double and then I guess subsequently be taken over by his own evil double yes because it's it, that part is very unclear in yeah. the flashback he apparently destroys his evil double his evil double ceases to exist literally seems to f- fade into nothingness and there's there's not really an explanation of of what happened between then and him coming into the negative zone, other than Reed saying, left to himself, Janus couldn't stop experimenting. He used the mega power to cure his legs because earlier on, good to Janus had, was in crutches. Um, but that wasn't enough. He eventually wanted more power, far, far more, and the only place he could get it, the negative zone. Mm-hmm. Which is a massive leap, even for omniscient Reed. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, it, it's amazing. To the point where... I'm not sure what the Kirby flashback art does. <laughs> I'm I, not sure that it, it necessarily provides a, a useful origin because you then have such a jump from, and then he was a good guy to, uh, but when we saw him, he's a bad guy. Yeah. So something happened in between. I, I think it is literally to buy them just the briefest the amount of breathing space and time. Exactly. Yeah. Which to be fair pays off. Because 109, by the time we get back to full, quote-unquote, new material again, uh, Bashima and Sinit, their art is much better uh, and and much, much more dynamic. Ironically, more Kirby. Oh, Uh, very much so. Yeah. That splash uh, page on 109. Wow. 
is 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 explicitly Kirby with the the giant Annihilus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is is amazingly Kirby, but just the 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 feeling of and part of this is also. Bashema clearly learned from following Kirby on Avengers and the dynamism of Kirby and is much better at uh, translating that into his own work than Romita ever managed. Absolutely. And so you have much more kinetic pages. Yeah. But but all of 109 is more enjoyable in the book. D- does not get back to its previous heights at all. No. But all of a sudden is much more readable because... Yeah. There is just much more happening, and there's much more momentum to the whole thing. Yeah, there's momentum, and just on a page by page, even when you get like some occasional stuff that is, well, there's a lot in here that is very, very goofy. One of the things that I uh, appreciate about it is is that Basima, with a little more breathing time, his layouts get even more dynamic, and then Senate is really able to provide the inking such that you get stuff where even something like page six, which is just them preparing to enter the negative zone and doing it, and Sue sort of weeping because she's once again left behind on monitor duty, is, um, it's just, it's, it, the page just hustles. It hustles, and it, and it also does a thing where it's like, like you said, Basima is able, understood Kirby's dynamicism, but it's also something that takes a while to really, you need the time. He's not, he's not, you know, Kirby could do this stuff, arguably literally half asleep in some cases. Uh, and, and for everyone. And towards the end did. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, you know, you see a lot more in here where, um there's just a lot more uh it gets closer so much closer so yeah actually 109 was like starting from that splash page i was like oh this is good i also have to say it's kind of a shame that the colorists are not credited uh on these issues cuz there's actually a lot of times it is you know this new nadir for the ff where particularly in the earlier issues where the storytelling was barely held together where i'm like a lot of it was the crazy comic book coloring, a lot of non-naturalistic sky color choices that really kept things together. And so the the first page with the death in the negative zone is really a dynamic piece coloring-wise to me because mm-hmm. you get an incredible amount. You've got an incredibly detailed page with an incredibly detailed Annihilus in the foreground and the colorist makes the choice of essentially washing out the colors in the front and pushing them into the back to create a real sense of depth because you already have the amount of detail in it. And the palette that he's using, which admittedly he's stuck by the very rudimentary comic book coloring, it's, it's, it's pretty great. I really do have to say the the coloring here also really, I thought, worked uh, in a way that that made me just happy to be reading reading an issue where, you know, sadly for better or for worse, even with the Nega Man jumping around, um, basically being a complete asshole. As soon as he finds an ILS and at the first signs of him being about to lose, he more or less sells out the entire human race just so that he can stay alive. Uh, and then the rest of it is pretty much a race against time to essentially stop and catch Janus before he can get back to Earth and lead Annihilus back to Earth. And even as they're doing that, Annihilus is 
grabbing his cosmic rod and creating a, a an enormous monster to fuck up Ben and Johnny. So you really have like action happening from like three different threats um, throughout the entire issue. And I, I, and what's interesting about the whole thing is that Janus is defeated, but not by the Fantastic Four. Yeah, Janus is defeated because he is a dick. Yeah, Janus exactly. is defeated because he turns on Annihilus's soldiers, and Nihilus's soldiers eject. <laughs> Into a star. <laughs> I love that. Page seventeen, where where the gargoyle. Page sixteen, where the gargoyle reaches over, pushes a button, so that you see seventeen. The Nega Man being ejected into space is just that is just one of the best little bits. I love that so much because he's being such an asshat. And one of the things again. As we've seen in the negative zone, we're once again looking at a situation where there's a little bit of it's up to Reed to fight a, sh- a creepy shadow version of himself. Um, I mean, let's face it. Th- this really is like this is us kind of saying like this is the best TV dinner we've had yet. Isn't it, Graham? I mean, it's all <laughs> it's all reheated it's, leftovers, you know, well, in it's, that it's, sense. It's so. all explicitly reheated leftovers by the time you get to the end of the issue because the cliffhanger of this issue is Janus having been dealt with, the FF escape. And again, when we're saying FF, we're talking Reed's Ben and Johnny because yeah. Sue has been left home to watch the television and answer the phone, honey. J- uh, Johnny and Ben are escape back to the positive zone, if you will. Uh, nice. But Reed can't. And the cliffhanger is, oh shit, Reed is going to die in the negative zone, which we have literally seen before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is such an explicit uh, redo that he's practically on the exact same asteroid floating into the exact same wave of antimatter and kind of wearing the exact same harness that he did before. Uh, People, honestly, if someone wants to make a t-shirt of panel one on page 19, that incredibly abstract, it's clobbering time that almost looks like it's just Ben's fist and it's sort of like he's doing a, a black power salute, please let us know. I would I would like one of those. So <laughs> I know and I know that the whole reason why Graham wants to cover this issue very quickly is so that he can dramatically read uh, one of the more hilarious, if you think about it, titles ever, ever penned by Stan Lee. That's though. actually not true. But really? okay. I do. <laughs> For the populous FF, has the time really come at last? One from four leaves three. <laughs> I love this title. It's some such a sh- love this tale. Some may hate it, but this we do promise you: none will forget it. And I, and I do have to say, Stan is wrong on that count. I had to reread exactly. this issue. I was like, exactly. "What?" I I also pretty much forgot it. What What can we say about this issue? I'll say this: I did not expect to see in page four a return of the Kirby photo uh, montage. I didn't but either. It's yeah. It's it. It was shocking. I thought it was fascinating that they had. Basima, give it a go, and uh, and it's int- part of me is like I hope they didn't just reuse Kirby's photos because it it is it is it's a Kirby collage. It's part of the negative zone, and it is both great and also a worrying sign of what is happening, which is that the FF are slow. At, before when you got Kirby and Lee rehashing things. It was. There were a variety of reasons for that. This that panel this, that this that panel is this issue in miniature, which yeah. is to say 
a complete rehash of what's going on. Exactly. This, this the is... only thing that's new about this issue mm-hmm. is Ben Grimm is explicitly a villain. Yes, exactly, which I, which I would like to talk about. But yeah, other than that, you, this is the issue where, for me, it, it, that page particularly signals that the Fantastic Four will now become a Fantastic Four tribute band. You know? Yeah, because the entire issue uh, is getting read back from the negative zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there are some fun bits in there. I, I do like seeing I, when Agatha shows up and she casts her spell. You then cut to the Daily Bugle, of all places. Yes. Uh, to see J. Jonah Jameson, as as Bart Simpson would say, have a cow. Yes, indeed. Um, well, and I, let's just say, uh, I don't know if we, it, it, again, the idea that we'll cover the rest of this is crazy, but that is actually a harbinger. This, this is where Stan is starting to work in some explicit, again, more subplotting and foreshadowing, because I am firmly convinced that that little bit is to to presage the, the whole, everything that goes on to happen with Ben, but the Overmind, all of this is setting the stage for the Overmind storyline as well. And that, that's, I, I'm actually somewhat loath to say that because it really is like saying that Stanley is looking at some sort of long game, which, <laughs> but and I, I know you hate that. I do. I do so much. Um, let me just talk a little bit actually, because although I feel this becomes more explicit in the next two issues, which are very much, uh, this issue is like, like we said, a little bit of the, the, the cover band version of, um, everyone trying to save Reed. Spoilers. They do save Reed. Yeah. Sadly, the whole, like whatever else is going on, it's part of Stan's dramatic titles that also provide helpful information uh, for grammar skills, such as, um, you, the follow-up, like, three issues later, sounding like A as in neighbor and way and stuff. But let, let's just say, for those people who are curious about the storyline, I will say that there are uh, four pages of a scientific approach uh, to get a the gyroscope back to read in the negative zone, followed by four pages of Agatha Harkness breaking out her mystical witch, witchcraftiness and... It's the latter pages that actually make sense and are all coherent. Because if if anyone can explain to me why you would like in case a, a a piece of machinery inside a fireball of superheat and that therefore will protect it from passage through, I mean, there's a lot of like higgledy biggledy, which it makes a lot more. Know, it's 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 comic book science, which really is is less sensible. Yeah. Than, than the magic. Yeah. So uh, cover this very quickly. They managed to get him back only after Ben has, you know, been a complete evil dick, more or less helped out only with the idea that it will help him uh, convince everyone that he should be the leader. Alicia comes back. He is absolutely, uh, completely horrible to her. Um, Rex stuff. And only once Sue starts turning him invisible, which kind of freaks him out, does he sort of calm down enough to basically uh, tell everyone off and leave in a dramatic way. Because he's quit the team again. Again. Well, one of the things that I do like is, again, we've seen this several different times. At least Stan sort of separated from Jack. A, knows to escalate the stakes. 
Um, B, one of the things that I find comical and again makes Reed seem like a supervillain is, is that the whole thing that he's upset about isn't the fact that he has actually managed to turn his best friend evil, but no. Last panel, Ben knows all our <laughs> secrets, all our fighting plans. That, plus his strength, would make him unbeatable. Yes, Reed is actually uh, worried that the thing will now be able to beat their asses and he is not safe because Reed is a cowardly supervillain. That's true. Like, it, it, the plot is explicitly for these last three issues and for the next few issues, mm-hmm. the thing has turned into a supervillain. But Reed is, in almost every single one of these issues, as supervillainy. Oh, completely, completely. Because Stan isn't kind of paying attention and making things up as it goes along and trying to up the stakes and, and rewriting things, it Reed is, an, is absolutely a supervillain. And let's talk actually about the thing as supervillain because I do find it fascinating that you have a situation where, again, this is a long chunk. When Ben gets turned back into... Uh, thing. Sorry, he's turned back into Ben Grimm in issue 107. This runs through issue 1012. That's five issues. You take out the two issues where they were like completely under the gun. And for me, I'm fascinated by the idea that Stan Lee has been abandoned by Jack Kirby. And one of the things that he does with Jack gone is he takes the character that is Jack's incarnation in the comic when, you know, where the the two of them have always been kind of half tug of warring at. Um, And he basically turns Ben admittedly through, you know, evil science. He makes Ben into a jealous, covetous, angry asshole. You know, who then abandons everyone. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just, it's not just the, Ben suddenly starts being a dick is that Ben suddenly starts being much more concerned with himself and what he's getting out of things and then he leaves. Exactly. Exactly. So and, and normally I'm the one saying you're reading into that, Jeff, but this time I think you're totally <laughs> right. You are entirely right with this one. I think this is the time where Stan really is scoring points against an absent Jack. Yeah, I think so too. So it's it's kind. It's, but you know, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it really is. It it is a it is a little little impressive piece of petty. Uh, I mean, but it it is it is it is some some insane metatextual shit. It would be great if Stan was aware enough to to be um you know that he that if he's Reed, which let's face it, it seems pretty likely that he thinks that he's Reed, um, that he created the whole situation. That that it was, it's technically, as Johnny keeps yelling at various points, it's, it's all Reed's fault. It really is all Reed's fault. And even though Reed, like, shrugs it off in typical Reed Richards way, you know, the fact is, is there there might be, there there may even be this Stan self-awareness may extend enough beyond just, you know, some in really interesting meta characterization here. So No, I completely agree. I, I was gonna say, should we should we plow through 
FF111, the fabulous FF, face their most dreaded I, disaster? I would just ask if you want to or do you want to stop because we are at the the two-hour mark. Yeah. Do you think yeah. we can do the next two issues in, in reasonable amount of time and not, as we did with the last way, what? <laughs> face a, like, sudden hard stop. Yeah. I, yeah. I, we might want to cut our losses, actually, and leave 112, um, 111 and 112 to next time. I think so. Everyone with a cliffhanger. There, there we go. There we go. It's kind of a shame because part of me is like, oh, we have a really excellent we, – we, we close on an excellent point, but one that may make issues 111 and 112 a little anticlimactic, but – but that's okay. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's close this up. People, Graham, do you want to tell us what we will all be reading next time? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, our homework for next time will be issues 111 through 118. Nice. I think that seems 111 sensible. through 118. And for everyone who's thinking, God, I hope we get some more crystal. <laughs> You're in luck, friends. No spoilers. <laughs> But you're in luck. Oh, nice. Nice. This okay. has been an interesting entry into the, the post-Kirby. Because I think we did begin to get back to some semblance of a decent comic by the mm-hmm. end of the, the, the issues we talked about. Because we definitely didn't start there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, man. That's about as far as we started from. So, yeah, no. It, and and what's interesting is is, again, just as we see the FF become the FF tribute band we also see the ff become something that looks more like what a lot of us think of as marvel comics and and it's interesting not having followed everything else as closely i don't know how much the rest of the line apart from the avengers which you and i read you know whether or not it starts to sort of become sort of the forerunner in some ways but what's really interesting is the next uh next month and this is uh, not a story spoiler, but uh, a metatextual spoiler. Features uh, Stanley's last issues. Mm-hmm. In in the next eight issues that we're going to be reading, we have Stan's last issues, we have Archie Goodwin for a few issues, and then we have Roy Thomas's first issues. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so we, we are moving to a, a post-Stan and Jack entirely. Yeah. Fantastic Four. And arguably, that's when the book becomes more recognizable. It's true. It is absolutely true. We've seen all the bits and pieces that are... um... that are the cornerstone of the Fantastic Four. We've seen the book really evolve and emerge and, of course, hit its heights. But there are people... For certainly someone like me, we're hitting the era where the Fantastic Four, as Fantastic Four tribute band is the part that is the most recognizable to me. So the idea of people who are riffing on the riffs, um, it, it starts to resemble an era is, has, is passing on Marvel comics, but it's far from the end of Marvel comics. And for those of us, whether it's through nostalgia talent, or even the idea that people are finally able to try and make the comics that they sort of were promised that they would be reading. Um, we get, we get, we get, we get um, something that is much more recognizable to me. Oh, and also let's, let's admit it. I don't want to oversell it. There, there also get, becomes just some crazily derivative diminishing returns uh, in extremists, <laughs> true believer, like you will not believe. So 
yeah there, there's there's a lot of um yeah all i'm gonna say is the the your comment about it being a fantastic four covers band i think it becomes very true mm-hmm. uh, for the issues we're going to be covering this year yeah I, I think that that you really are getting people doing their version of the ff's free bird <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do hope, pl- please, everyone, sh- go to our show notes uh, when this episode goes live, because I'm hoping Graham is usually too overly generous in pulling quotes from me. That one deserves to end up in the entry, so. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, thank you very much to everyone for listening, as always. Um, this is the part where I tell you all where you can find us. So That's I will right. tell you. You can find us, uh, the show notes Jeff was just talking about, and show notes for every other episode, and additional written posts by Jeff, by myself, and by the wonderful Matt Terrell can be found at waitwhatpodcasts.com. Um, I'm posting things on waitwhattumblr again, waitwhattumblr.com. Yeah. Uh, I I thought you were going to say something there. Oh, <laughs> I was just, and doing a great job. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off. Yes. Um, well, that, thanks, Jeff. Let's pause and recognize my efforts. Um, we are also uh, a Patreon-supported uh, podcast. That's right. uh, in fact, Baxter Building exists because of our Patreon supporters. Uh, and this is where I pass over to Jeff for a sec. Yes, absolutely. Who's not? Who's just checking to let you know that we are incredibly grateful to all 113 of our patrons for making this possible. And we have special thanks to the crew over at the American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support of this podcast. And a super special thanks to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, all of you make this incredibly possible we are super grateful and it's really meaningful to us because we are we are moving into the second year of baxter building uh an extra podcast that we put up as a patreon goal kind of going like oh (laughs) like this will ever happen so and then it did yeah well well done you guys well done you're good you're keeping us buried in some uh what promises to be terrifying comics for for months to come (laughs) Uh, and if you want to find out more about our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast is where you can find us. You can find us on Twitter at waitwhatpodcast. You can find Jeff on Twitter at lazybastard, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. You can find me on Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Yes. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can leave comments, at least on iTunes. Can you leave comments on Stitcher, Jeff? Uh, you know, I don't know. Stitcher was very much a thing where the delightful Al Kennedy over the uh, uh, genuinely entertaining House to Astonish podcast that if people like this and don't listen to that, you guys should go hunt that up because you will you will definitely dig it. Uh, said, like, can you put can you show up on Stitcher? Like, so there's a few people, him and Chris Peterson seemed really into it. So I put us up there. I literally know nothing. <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> well, maybe you could leave comments there as well. Uh, feel free to leave comments on either location. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, or yeah. maybe just iTunes if you can't leave comments on Stitcher. Um, otherwise, I think we're we're going to, A, see you in a new way to what next week. Uh, and in a month, be back for uh, issues 111 through 118 of Fantastic Four. Jeffrey Lester. Yes, Graham McMillan. Yes, Graham. Flame on! Oh, no, wait, that's not my... I was actually going to say, we'll see. I actually did forget I have a tagline. I'm like, no, that'd be such a good tagline. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, everyone.
<laughs> we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building.